0: Okay, mine, for some reason it went to like 87, 86, 85. I was like, oh my God, we got to wait a minute and a half to start this (laughs) thing. (laughs) It's
1: like, that is entirely too long.
0: That is too long. I I say we skip over and just get started now.
1: Yeah, I agree. Welcome to The Geek & Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer.
0: And I'm Greg Lambert. So we talk a lot about legal analytics on this show and how legal professionals can leverage analytics to improve their processes, whether that is the setting of the scope of the legal matters, the pricing and staffing of those matters, or predicting the time frame of how long it will take to represent from start to finish of a matter. And we brought in one of the godfathers.
1: He made us an offer we
0: couldn't refuse. One of the godfathers of legal analytics to the show today with carl harris from lex machina we get nice and geeky as we talk with carl about how he found his way to create an analytics platform and what he and lex machina are planning as they become more embedded in the overall structure of Lexis's legal research platform
1: i also wanted to wish everyone a happy international women's day When we started the podcast, one of our goals was to highlight voices that aren't often heard in the legal innovation space. So, you know, you did a quick tabulation and we have had 76 women on the podcast. Um, I'm very happy about that number and I look to increase it as we continue the series. So thank you to all of our female guests and allies.
0: So stick around for the discussion with Carl Harris. But for now, let's get to this week's Information. Inspirations. Our friends John Greenblatt and Brian Parker from Legal Innovators have a, this just absolutely fantastic episode on their new podcast, The Law in Black and White. This week, they have former ABA president and a partner at your firm, Marlene, uh, yes. Paulette Brown.
1: Yes, she she heads our diversity and inclusion uh, efforts at, uh, at Lock Lord.
0: I just can't tell you how much I loved this interview and just the honesty and insights that uh, Paulette just lays out there for everyone to hear. Wasn't she she great? Yeah, she is great. So she shares her experience of being a black woman in a big law setting and how she's helped the ABA address the problems of race in the legal industry. But most of all, she talks about her life experience and – while black women in law firms are not a monolith by any stretch of the imagination, But despite years of trying to understand the barriers to success placed in front of women of color, the advancements are practically zero over the past 20 years. And I listened to this when I was uh, in the car with my wife and she was just nodding along as Paulette Brown was talking with Brian and John about some of the issues that she's faced over the years. So it's just an absolute must listen to the episode if you want a better understanding of, of race, gender and success in the legal industry.
1: You know, it was absolutely great. And of course, you beat me to this inspiration, (laughs) but I did reach out to Paulette to let her know how much I enjoyed her interview and that we were using it as part of the inspirations for the pod this week. From the annals of COVID-related inspirations, I give you the distributed model of law firms. Now, I'm, I'm actually a little sad that we have not attributed a shape to this, but I guess that's just for individual lawyers. So the distributed model law firms, Greg, are becoming a bit of a thing lately. The distributed model firms are virtual, and they calculate their pay based on formulas, based on billing and origination. They don't do capital calls, and they have no way to administratively slash salaries as many big law firms have done to preserve cash. And they don't have the overhead of real estate and much staff. And their first commitment is to pay partners, and then they pay for the firm based on what's left over. So, of course, if there's a risk, if the work dries up, you know, but uh, there's been a great deal of interest from big law attorneys looking for a change. Fisher Broyles is one example of a distributed model law firm. Uh, It has almost become an AMLAW 200 firm, actually. So the firm says it brought in 91.25 million in 2019 revenue. Now that's just 10 million shy of where the AMLAW rankings placed the 200th law firm in the country last year. Uh, The firm has hired 38 partners since the start of June 2019, and expects to hire another 35 partners by the end of 2020. In May, lateral new hires were from Davis Polk and Wardell, DLA Piper, Seafarth Shaw. And it seems these models attract more than just the lone wolf types, you know, who manage their own clients' work. Uh, at the Potomac Law Firm, about 35% of the firm revenue is generated by lawyers handling work on behalf of partners' clients. Now in terms of compensations, the lawyers are paid in total about 70 to 80% of the firm revenue. Rainmakers get 20 to 30 percent for work they originate, and lawyers who do the work earn between 40 and 52 percent of the revenue. This seems to shatter all the myths we hear about the need for the big law model to handle big law matters. Uh, The talent's making the move, and it may not be long before the clients follow. Now, you know, if they would only consider profit sharing for staff.
0: Well, Marlene, we are right at the one-year mark of the, you know, work-from-home phase of COVID. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, I think officially, we we early on said March 11th was the start because that was the day that Tom Hanks announced that he he was infected with COVID. So, and and most of us, you know, we we went home on March 13th and we never came back to the office. So. But one of the things that has happened is that we've become much more comfortable doing Zoom trials. So, you know, it's pretty much the primary way of holding hearings right now. And I watched something today that was just absolutely scary. And that was the situation in St. Joseph County, Michigan, where a prosecutor realizes during the time that she's interviewing a witness via Zoom that the defendant of the case is actually in the same house as the witness. So Mm -hmm. Deborah Davis, uh, who is the assistant uh, prosecutor, she was questioning a woman about a domestic abuse arrest of her boyfriend. And it turned out that the boyfriend was literally sitting only a few feet away from her. Davis immediately like recognized it because of the woman's behavior. And I watched this and I don't know how she picked up on it. I just, she has a, a a sense that that is beyond mine.
1: this This is not her first rodeo,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. So Davis immediately asked the judge to verify that the defendant was not in the house. And there was a police officer that was on the call. He made a call out to uh, some officers. I mean, it was literally just a few seconds later. That the officer showed up at the house, and of course the defendant was was trying to claim that he was not in the house. Um, mm-hmm. and luckily, you know, it it everything turned out okay, and just the you can watch the judge, <laughs> and he was just stunned by what had happened, and he immediately revoked the bond. And as the defendant was was trying to explain to the judge why he was lying to him, the judge was telling him, you, know, "Hey, keep your mouth shut." you know, you're in a hole now and first thing you need to do is stop digging a, a deeper hole. <laughs> so, but there, you know, there's just things that you don't think about happening when you can't control the environment of a trial. And, you know, th- I will tell you that I was watching this thing and it had me on the edge of my seat, you know, more than most horror thriller films that I've watched in a long time. And I, I can tell you right right now that uh, Deborah Davis is the absolute hero of the story.
1: Yeah. Thank goodness for Deborah Davis. I mean, I have many questions when I, when I hear this, like, this is just crazy, crazy, crazy that this happened. And I just, I have a lot of questions as to how that happened. Um, Well, I have lots of questions. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I have, I have lots of questions.
0: Um, Well, it makes me wonder how many times something like this has happened and it wasn't caught.
1: Right. I mean, and certainly now in, 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 you know, times of COVID, sure. But I mean, it just, it, it reflects... Even before COVID, it just kind of reflects what you know women who are who are involved in, in domestic abuse are up against. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in the vein of the online court, but in a more lighthearted uh, manner or lighthearted approach, the next time you zoom with your judge, understand that that access may be costing them personally. In some jurisdictions, they do not have a budget for the court to host Zoom calls. So the judges are paying for it themselves. So talk about an access to justice problem. I mean, even the judges can't get on the Zoom calls to, to hear things. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm having a hard time understanding this because, you know, couldn't some budgeted money, you know, for things like parking and other court-related expenses you know, be shifted for a remote video platform.
0: Well, uh, as someone who's married to a uh, public school teacher, uh, you know, we understand about having to go out and buy things, that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, in order to get the supplies that you need. So,
1: um, yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Ugh. I'm having. To, I'm still thinking about that. I'm still thinking about that judge. (laughs) I'm still thinking about that whole thing. Um, Yeah, okay. And that wraps up this week's Information Inspirations.
0: Lex Makano was one of the early entries into the data analytics markets. And we asked one of the founders to come on and talk about his experience on working first on sonar systems where he had to take streams and signals of data and make sense of that. That turned out to be a launching pad for taking streams and signals of legal data and turning that into actionable data as well.
1: We'd like to welcome Carl Harris, CEO of Lex Machina, to the Geek & Review. Carl, welcome.
2: Happy to be here.
0: So, Carl, I've actually wanted to have you on the show for quite a while now, and, and mainly because Lex Machina is one of the products that when people ask me, what are we using, that deals with legal analytics. Yours is the one that I get to point to, (laughs) uh, especially when it comes in relationship to uh, legal research. So it's great to have you on the show. But before we dive into the analytics portion of the conversation, would you just mind just giving us a little bit of the history about yourself and how you ended up running a legal analytics company?
1: Because I'm, I'm sure that you decided that's what you wanted to do when you were young, right? You, know, you, you were five years old, and you're just like, "That's what I'm going to do."
2: That's right. My uh, poster on my preschool wall said, "I want to run a legal analytics company." Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, so it, it's a it's a good question and a fun one to talk about. So um, when I kind of t- talk about my journey towards coming to a legal analytics company, I think about kind of three different moving pieces that kind of put me in this, uh, in this area. So one is a background in product and engineering. The second is background in entrepreneurship. And then the third is, of course, legal. In terms of product and engineering, so my you know, first couple jobs were as an actual software engineer. So I used to spend my day, all day, every day writing code. So the first thing I did was actually a really fun job is I uh, built sonar systems uh, for submarines which is really cool. It's a science job, lots of distributed computing, lots of signal uh, processing, and then to kind of plant the seed for later, really ultimately a sonar is all about data processing and analysis. It's about taking streams and signals and trying to make sense of them in a way that's uh, a little different, you know, so you don't run into things and such like that. Uh, but it is actually um, about data analysis. And then, um, you know, kind of the entrepreneurship angle. So, you know, before Lex Machina, Um, I was part of the founding team of a company called Flurry, which ultimately was a mobile analytics company. And so the story there is, you know, if uh, you think about using your phone or, or any other mobile device, you know, Flurry can be embedded in those applications to help developers understand how people are using their product, what are the kind of click flows, and what is basic usage data for how people are using a mobile app. So a good kind of Example is, let's say you're a game developer and you're spending all of your time on level four, five, and six development. But Flurry's Mobile Analytics comes in and says, hey, none of your users play your game past level two. So really you should be focusing on keeping people in the game rather than working on those other levels. And so that was a, you know, my first kind of entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial experience. That company was acquired by Yahoo. And then the third component is legal. So I have been to law school. I was an intern um, at sorry. a law firm. <laughs> it's the least fun part of the story. No, I'm just kidding. I, I actually really like it. No, you're uh, not, really. <laughs> <laughs> we know. We know. Yeah. So I liked law school, love learning about the law, and, you know, kind of those pieces coming together like my background as a software developer, um, as an entrepreneur, and then knowing, um, having this insight into the legal space from law school and from briefly working. As a summer intern at a law firm, that's kind of my triangulation for how I came into legal analytics.
0: Okay, well, Carl, you were that you were that person I sat next to in class, so that uh, I could just elbow and get the answer from.
2: <laughs> we,
0: we appreciate you. Us, us on that Thank other you. end of the uh, bell curve, are, are happy you were there.
2: I'm always here to help. <laughs>
1: So, Carl, we've heard from a number of guests over the years of the importance of legal analytics in law firms and how legal analytics is a hot employment opportunity for those looking for new work. How are you seeing law firms uh, leveraging data analytics in their practice?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And so, you know, kind of the big picture uh, answer for that is, you know, law firms are leveraging data analytics in their practice in, in kind of all facets, you know, to, Break it down into the most simple kind of components. If you think about a law firm, they kind of do two things. Number one is you try to get clients, keep clients happy. And then number two is you try to win their cases and get get good outcomes for them. Um, you know, whether that be in litigation or, or M&A or whatnot. So getting clients and uh, getting good outcomes for them. Make and it so sound for- simple. <laughs> so easy, so if easy. Only, yes, if only everything was so simple. And so data and analytics from Lex Machina is really about those two things. It's winning business and winning cases. So like, for example, in Lex Machina, you can use it to uh, for a law firm to kind of showcase your particular expertise. You know, How much experience do you have in front of this judge? How much experience do you have working with this opposing counsel? Or how much experience do you have in this particular industry or space? to kind of prove with data why why you're the right firm or attorney for a particular matter. And then on that kind of second component about winning cases, you can use analytics to figure out um, what should your strategy be given your current situation? Like in past cases like yours at this point, what produced winning outcomes, what produced losing outcomes? And you can use that with data to help, produ- uh, to help produce winning strategy as well.
1: So, those are great examples, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can share with us, what is, what is the most creative, um, example that you've, you've heard just, you know, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it's just sure. like, what's the most, you know, outside of the norm type of thing you've heard people doing with it?
2: Well, I think, um, well, three kind of things come to mind. One is, Something that it may not be that fun creatively, but something we never anticipated, which is that lateral hiring is an important use case for Lex Machin. And you can do that for kind of a couple of different things. One is, like I said, you can take a look at an actual attorney's track record with data and things like that. But number two is, you can uh, do a conflicts analysis, you know, kind of right up front by going and looking and seeing, you know, who is this person represented, who have they worked with, who they worked against. And so using analytics for that whole lateral hiring, both in terms of like selecting the right people and also, you know, kind of doing like a pre-conflicts check is something that we never anticipated, but which turns out to be popular. Another thing that I think is quite creative and is a is kind of a growing industry now is the use of analytics for litigation finance like when we started lex machina you know it was kind of conceptual it seemed like something that might be done and people used uh, lex machina to evaluate potential litigation for companies that you might be an investor in but to actually be like a fund that finances litigation and actually invests in the outcome of litigations before those outcomes happen that's new that's a very fast growing industry and I think that's something that's pretty creative um, and out of the box. And then the last one, kind of the third thing that I'll, I'll mention, this is actually a story maybe before legal analytics, but it's also fun to break down, you know, kind of how judges act based on like their current caseload or, you know, based on time of day and stuff like that. And one example, although it's not necessarily Lex like Smokin example, but something that I love to tell is somebody did some analysis on a particular judge and found that you do not want to be on the docket running up to lunch because judge gets hungry maybe hangry, you might call it, and you mm-hmm. get bad outcomes right before lunchtime. And all those things are kind of fun to talk about. <laughs>
0: uh, a lot of us on the operation side of law firms are looking for you know, some type of competitive advantage, whether it's setting up our pricing teams, uh, some type of knowledge management, you know, project management, process improvement, all of those. How are are the money makers, you know, or the people that look to make, squeeze more profit out of a, a dollar of revenue, um, how are they using your product to uh, accomplish that goal?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and so when I think about kind of generating profit, there's kind of two sides to it. One, which you kind of referred to, which is controlling costs, but the other side is, you know, trying to bring in more revenue. And so I definitely answer the controlling cost side, but I will kind of point out that if you look at like analytics and Lex Machina from a profit perspective, the first thing that comes to mind is generating more revenue because you can use Lex Machina to kind of win more business, get more clients, keep more clients happy, happy clients send you more business, new clients send you new business. And so managing to that kind of revenue side is uh, is an important component. But in terms of like what you mentioned, which is uh, you know kind of dialing down um, on costs and doing things more efficiently, I think analytics definitely uh, plays a part in, in all different ways. It helps you be more efficient um, with uh, your kind of recommendations to your client as to what you should do and how you should spend your time. It can help you jumpstart a strategy. So for example, um, let's say that you're, working on a motion to dismiss or something like that. With analytics and Lex Machina, you could say, well, show me the last 10 motions to dismiss in front of this judge that uh, produced a, a winning outcome for my client and start from there rather from scratch. And we know that law firms, obviously, Greg and Marlene do a lot of work on making sure that law firms have great internal knowledge management tools. Analytics can kind of help bridge the gap. So you could imagine like the ideal scenario is, you know, show me the last um, five motions that my firm won and then show me the last five that different firms won outside using like Lex Analytics, put that together. Now you're jump started into an effective place without spending all that cost, all that time to like find all that information and whatnot. And I think one more thing, which is, you know, to your point, Greg, is one of the important things that I think we try to do with analytics is convey the message that analytics should be done in everything. It should be done on publicly available litigation data for federal and for state. It should be done on internal uh, data that you have inside your own law firms, and just finding the right information quickly and efficiently is a great lever for driving down cost, especially when it you know as as it's done by functions that you can't necessarily bill out directly to the client, which the firms obviously internalizing those costs 100%.
1: So recently, Lex Mahina has integrated its platform into the overall structure of the new Lexis Plus platform. And I believe that Lexis Plus framed this integration as its fourth core pillar to the platform uh, in addition to the legal research elements, practical guidance, and brief analysis features. So how does this shift what Lex Mahina's fourth pillar contributes to the other three pillars and vice versa?
2: Yeah. So we're, we're very excited about the Lexis Plus Litigation Analytics launch earlier this year. And you, you got it dialed. It's kind of that fourth pillar. And what I think it really signals is bringing legal analytics into the mainstream workflow of every single attorney that's doing work around litigation. You know, um, of those kind of four pillars that you mentioned, so the research, the practical guidance, the analytics and the brief analysis, Those are kind of in order of, you know, what have historically been the traditional workflows of attorneys, like legal research has been around for hundreds of years, right? You've always, in a common law system, you always got to find the controlling law in a certain scenario. Practical guidance is relatively new. I mean, it's not that new, um, but providing like practical guidance products to help walk you through certain workflows is is relatively new, certainly compared to legal research. And then brief analysis and litigation analytics are, are quite new. And adding that, those as components into the core workflow of everyday legal work is what litigation analytics is all about in Lexus Plus. It's all about being able to make high-level assessments about what's the behavior of judges, law firms, uh, and attorneys right in your existing workflow. And so – Maybe one more thing I'll add to that is you know, kind of what it does for Lex Machina. So we've obviously we've grown a lot. Uh, we, you know, we have a lot more users than we did, uh, certainly in the early days. You know, we're working with the both of you. Um, but putting litigation analytics in Lexis Plus, which will ultimately have hundreds of thousands and millions of users, is a major milestone in putting analytics into the workflow of every single person that practices law. And I think that helps the practice and ultimately will help Lex Machina um because when you get analytics embedded into the types of things that you do you'll realize all these new use cases that maybe you didn't even know about and you'll come to Lex Machina to do kind of those sophisticated things that we talked about
1: Carl so I know Greg and I are, are quite familiar with uh Lex Machina's capabilities uh with federal court analytics but of course you know you know we always get the questions like well, what about state court what about state court you know we really need state courts so are there any developments on your end regarding uh, state court analytics which I know are a lot harder to do?
2: Yes, um, they are harder to do and the answer is yes, there are lots of good developments which is that, you know, I would say our one of our core if not our main core focus right now is bringing more and more state court content into Lex Machina. And so, you know, l- let me just kind of talk about that in two different ways. So one is, you know, you mentioned you're familiar with our Um, kind of federal offering. And we've kind of reached a major milestone last year in that, uh, you know, all of the what we call kind of commercially viable cases in PACER are in lex machina, which means all civil litigation with the exception of, um, you know, like prisoner rights petitions and individual social security cases, which, you know, we'll eventually get to, but um, not a lot of large law firms are handling those types of cases. And so we feel like we've reached a major milestone for federal. And the next frontier is state. And the way that we think about state is that because the various state courts and this can even vary county by county although some states have you know um, broader systems you have to be able to analyze the documents in state court because you can't rely on the docket like what the clerk's actually entering because it can be sparse it can be inconsistent Um, And it's just, it's unreliable. I mean, I like to joke, I I used to spend a lot of time complaining about PACER, um, but now I love it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because there we are. someone that used
0: to work at the uh, Oklahoma uh, state uh, network that had uh, all the state dockets there, trust me, I know the difference between what one county puts in and another county puts in and how how just different they can be.
2: Exactly. Um, And to that point, the truth's in the documents, though. What actually gets filed um, as kind of like an order, you know, a a brief or or a filing and stuff like that has the ground truth, both in terms of what happened, but also who was involved, right? The parties going to be listed in there, the law firm's going to be listed in there, and the attorney's going to be listed in there. And we now have the capability to process those state court documents in mass. And so we're focused on rolling out what we call the biggest kind of state courts, which is a focus on uh, counties that have Um, over $80 billion in GDP and one million in population, which are kind of like the big commercial centers in the US. And we're focused on rolling those kind of state courts out at a clip of about one a month. And so, um, yes, lots of exciting stuff. We're very excited to be rapidly expanding into state court and stay tuned for lots more releases over the course of this year.
1: Exciting.
0: (laughs) Well, Carl, I wanted to have you kind of pull out your crystal ball here on on this next one. Um, So what are you seeing? Because we've talked with a number of people that have talked about cloud computing, AI natural language processing, all of these powerful tools that are out there. And so what are you seeing as some of the potential value or changes in the legal industry in the near future due to some of the improvements, say in data analytics itself? You know, you've got uh, the data analytics, AI, computing processing power and storage with cloud-based systems, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the, this idea of using analytics that tells you what the judge is uh, going to do. I mean, that's, that's so 2019 now. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) so what, what's the next block to fall in, in legal analytics and, and how intelligent and smart do you think the computing systems are going to be?
2: Yeah, it's a great question and a really fun one, um, to talk about. And I think that, uh, you know, I might answer that kind of with with two kind of separate buckets. So one is, you know, you mentioned like trying to figure out what the judge is going to do It's kind of like uh, 2019. I, I think that the where we're going to get to is a point where you can imagine like AI systems giving you advice about what you should do kind of at each step in your workflow. So for example, imagine like a, a soup to nuts scenario where, you know, you're trying to win business from a particular client and you're... Tool is like, well, hey, here's the things that you should co- showcase. Here is this particular prospective client's past litigation track record. Here were good outcomes they got. Here were bad outcomes that they got. Here were the law firms that they work with. Here, here's the law firms they work with. There, here's what you should be telling them as to why you should be their particular client. and Kind of spoon feed you um, that, and then as you work through and you know intake and you work with them on a litigation or M&A. Or whatnot, each step of the way, you've got a little kind of AI system on your shoulder saying, okay, here's where you're at. Here's what you should do next. Here's what other things have done in the situation. This kind of takes a more proactive approach in guiding you through the process than right now, where you kind of got to know, like, hey, here's my tools. Here's what I should be doing here. Here's a way I might use it there. You know, maybe you forget it. Like, it's only the law firms that are really great about kind of systematizing process that have widespread adoption of analytics. And I think that um, moving the AI in the direction of more like a proactive assistant is kind of the next phase in getting that uh, integrated in, in folks' workflow. All right. So I'm,
1: I'm going to okay. say, I'm just going to mention Clippy here. I'm just, I'm just for a second. <laughs> know, I'm going to go away. But no, I, I actually did have a, a point because I was thinking about what you were saying there and... You know, I I look at like Excel where they're sort of offering you suggested. you know, you have your data there and they're offering you suggested types of charts based on what you're trying Mm -hmm. to do. So it's almost like, you know, what are you trying to do? And then it will, the system will go ahead and do that for you. Yeah.
0: So you did it differently. I I was imagining a little AI devil on one shoulder and a little (laughs) AI (laughs) angel on the other. So
2: I like that. You got the competing uh, shoulder purchase. <laughs> but yes, uh, to your point, Marlene, that's exactly right. As opposed to, um, you know, right now where you're saying, well, I figure out what I want to do and now I want to get the, the data to support this or I want to use data to figure out what I should be doing. It's a system. It's just a more general analysis saying like, hey, I want to win this person's business. And the system says, well, here's what you should do. Or I want to decide whether to write this particular motion to dismiss. System says, "Well, here's all the factors you should take into account, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." It's exactly what you mentioned, like with the Excel, uh, which is, "Hey, I want to compare two things." Well, why don't you try a pie chart? Why don't you try a bar chart? Like that's a great analogy. You know, one other thing that I might mention about this, since uh, you know, it's kind of related to the topic, is, and Greg, maybe you and know I have chatted about this in the in the past, but I like love the topic of Should people be afraid of, Mm. you know, these AI systems, you know, like taking their job or, uh, you know, to your point about, um, you know, driving cost efficiencies and things like that? And ultimately, my answer to that is you should not be afraid. Because when you think about, like, are we at a point where AI is going to replace, like, actually a legal mind or a lawyer? I mean, the answer is no. But I do think that lawyers that use AI are going to replace lawyers that don't use AI. Yeah. So in that regard, it's it's not about like the AI is coming to take all your take your jobs, but it's gonna be a component in a successful lawyer's toolkit in the in the subsequent years.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And that that's kind of a common theme that we've talked with other people that that are using or developing AI tools. It, they they give kind of the same answer. It's like for those who adjust, the world's going to be great. For those that that mm-hmm. think that they can they can work around it and not use it, uh, they've probably got another thing coming to them. So,
1: and and I think what we've what we've also talked about and and you know I think what what we have found you know in our work is that as you show these types of tools and the capabilities to different people, and, and they do start adopting them, then they come up with, well, can it do this? And can it do this? And I want to do this. And, you know, sometimes it can, and sometimes it can't, but it moves the conversation forward. And, and so they find other uses and, and other ways. And so there's, there's more work actually, as a result of, of being able to dig down and, and see things in a different way with the analytics
2: that's right when you can do new things there are more things that you can do (laughs) that's right
1: that's a good that's that's a good way of putting it that's that's and that's a good way to wrap this up i think (laughs)
0: yes it is well carl harris uh we appreciate you taking the time to uh come on and talk with us
2: yeah thanks greg thanks marlene i i enjoyed it
1: that was a lot of fun talking to Carl. Uh, you know, I'm glad we finally got him on. We've, we've talked to him about it for, for a long time and just yeah. his schedule never, never allowed it. So that was good. And I, I, you know, I love that he was, he was willing to, uh, he was game to, to talk about like, you know, what are some of the really odd things that, that we're talking about? Cause, uh, you know, those are the things I think people want to hear and kind of have that aha moment. It's like, Oh yeah, I never thought about that. You know, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it was you know it's really interesting to see how they're embedding the new prod or well I mean obviously Lex Machina has been around probably almost 10 years now yeah. at least and getting it embedded into lexus and lexus plus you know there's a, a lot of interesting things on the horizon for them but i have to go back to something he said at the very beginning and that was uh when he worked uh one for a, a flurry one it it made me uh, hungry for a, an ice cream from dairy queen. <laughs> i was gonna
1: say i'm like mm, flurries <laughs> <laughs>
0: or is that mcdonald's i can't remember i think mcdonald's has oh, i thought flurries. it was
1: dairy queen isn't dairy Queen yeah, yeah. but
0: sure uh true. but it was it was really interesting talking about and I and I think that while he was talking about the gaming industry I think it applies to the legal industry as well and that you're bringing in these developers to work on levels three and four and five and you still got all of your people still working <laughs> and on people levels like one me who like don't
1: make it past the yeah, first levels like don't <laughs> game worry. over game yeah, over Game level. over and, and two. I'm just like I am frustrated because I can't get past this so yeah
0: so yeah i thought that was just a really good analogy and mm -hmm. i think it really applies with the especially what we're looking at for data analytics and what we're actually able to to kind of comprehend and process so uh, it was was great to, to hear that part as well
1: yeah and i kind of love this this idea of you know maybe in the future we'll be able to basically say this is what i'm trying to do and the system will be smart enough to be able to take your data and do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know, you know, I know oftentimes, you know, people want to do it. Like they know what they want to do with it, but they don't know how to execute it. Yeah. And this will this will be easy.
0: Now they have that little angel and double AI uh, sitting on their shoulder Clippy. to, to tell been, them what to Clip, do.
1: Clippy. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. I like Clippy. I miss him. I miss him.
0: Uh, all right. Well, thanks again to Carl Harris uh, from Lex Machina for taking the time to talk with us.
1: Thank you, Carl. Before we go, we want to remind listeners to take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Read and review us as well. If you have comments about today's show or suggestions for a future show, you can reach us on Twitter at, at GayBauerM or at Glambert, or you can call the Geek and Review Hotline at 713 487 7270, or email us at geekandreviewpodcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. As always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSica. Thanks, Jerry.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I will talk to you later.
1: Okay, right. bye-bye. bye bye.